bold, be bold, but not too bold. This is how the heroine is warned in the tale of Mr. Fox, just as she discovers her suitor is a killer of women. Like fairest of them all from Snow White, or Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair, the refrains of this tale have attached themselves to our language. Be bold, be bold, but not too bold, has a familiar ring to it, even to people who have never heard the story. Mr. Fox is an English version of a story known as Bluebeard, which was once one of the most popular fairy tales. Before people could read True Crime or Stephen King, Bluebeard was as dark as it got. Before Poe or Lovecraft, there was a story of a wife killer who had made a pact with the devil. Now I should mention, although it may be obvious, that today's episode will be dark and bloody and not suitable for children. But if you are curious, and curiosity is a theme of today's episode, then keep listening. I'm Claire Testoni, and this is Singing Bones. In many ways, Bluebeard is like the dark cousin of Beauty and the Beast. Both tales deal with the anxiety of arranged marriages to older men that women for much of history had to endure but where the beast endears his beauty to him and transforms into a handsome prince, the figure of Bluebeard is exactly what his bride feared he would be. The best-known version of the story is Charles Perrault's Bluebeard, written in 1697, but it is clearly a tale older than that. Shakespeare references refrains of Mr Fox in Much Ado About Nothing, written in 1598. Shakespeare is only one of many writers to be fascinated by the tale. William Thackeray wrote several versions of the tale. Margaret Atwood has explored it. Stephen King and Charlotte Bronte referenced it. And perhaps the most famous modern version of the tale is Angela Carter's The Bloody Chamber the titular tale of her collection of modern feminist fairy tales that became essential reading for anyone interested in the form. The Bluebeard tale occurs in three distinct forms. The first, the tale that Perrault tells of a wealthy man with a distinctive blue beard who has been married several times before, before taking a new wife. He leaves her alone in the mansion or castle with the keys to all the rooms, and tells her she may explore them all except the room that the little gold key unlocks. With shades of Eve and Pandora, the new wife cannot help but look in the last forbidden room with the little gold key. Inside she finds his previous dead wives with a great deal of blood on the floor. Sometimes they are hanging, sometimes they are slaughtered, Sometimes they are simply heads. In a particularly dramatic version of the tale, they are all pregnant when they are murdered. So startled is the bride 
by the bloody scene before her that she drops the key onto the stained floor. And no matter what she does, she cannot remove the blood from the gold of the key. Bluebeard returns and sees her betrayal marked on the little gold key and then begins a slowly drawn-out scene like that of a horror film or like the ghost story, The Golden Arm, that we discussed in the episode on Singing Bones, where the bride calls out to her brother to save her while Bluebeard prepares to end her life. I give you, replied Bluebeard, half a quarter of an hour but not one moment more. When she was alone, she called out to her sister and said to her, Sister Anne, for that was her name, go up, I beg you, upon the top of the tower and look if my brothers are not coming over. They promised me they would come today and if you see them, give them a sign to make haste. Her sister Anne went up to the top of the tower and the poor afflicted wife cried out from time to time, Sister Anne, Sister Anne, do you see anyone coming? And Sister Anne said, I see nothing but the sun, which makes a dust, and the grass, which looks green. In the meanwhile, Bluebeard, holding a great sabre in his hand, cried out as loud as he could bawl to his wife, Come down instantly, or I shall come up to you. One moment longer, if you please, said his wife. And then she cried out very softly, Anne, Sister Anne, does thou see anybody coming? And Sister Anne answered, I see nothing but the sun which makes a dust and the grass which is green. Come down quickly, cried Bluebeard, or I will come up to you. I'm coming, answered his wife, and then she cried, Anne, Anne, Sister Anne, dost thou not see anyone coming? I see, replied Sister Anne, a great dust which comes on the side here. Are they my brothers? Alas, no, my dear sister. I see a flock of sheep. Will thou not come down, cried Bluebeard. One moment longer, said his wife, and then she cried out, Anne, Anne, sister Anne, dost thou see anybody coming? I see, said she, two horsemen, but they are a great way off. Gods be praised, replied the poor wife joyfully. They are my brothers. I will make them a sign as well as I can for them to make haste. Then Bluebeard bawled out so loud that he made the whole house tremble. The distressed wife came down and threw herself at his feet, all in tears with her hair about her shoulders. This signifies nothing, said Bluebeard. You must die. Then, taking hold of her hair with one hand and lifting up the sword with the other, he was going to take off her head. The poor lady, turning about to him and looking at him with dying eyes, desired him to afford her one little moment to recollect herself. No, no, said he. Recommend thyself to God. And just as he was ready to strike, at this very instant there was such a loud knocking at the gate that Bluebeard made a sudden stop. The gate was opened and presently entered two horsemen who, drawing their swords, ran directly to Bluebeard. He knew them to be his wife's brothers, one a dragoon and the other a musketeer. It's a fabulous ending, possibly one of the most action-packed scenes in any fairy tale. And while that was the Charles Perrault version, 
you find the same tension and anxiety in many versions of the tale. This version of Bluebeard also appears often as Redbeard, similar in all points except for having a blue beard as the mark of the devil. Instead, he has a beard red from dripping it in the blood of his victims. The Redbeard story has led many folklorists to suspect that the story may have been based on Henry VIII and his many wives. Henry's large, foreboding size and famous flaming red hair colouring, turning him into a devil figure to French peasants. Although I suspect the tale is older than Henry Tudor, I can see how the French story of a red beard and later blue beard could be a retelling of the older tale with a new face of the many-wived king, father of Elizabeth. The second common manifestation of the blue beard story is a more female-empowered one, and can be found in stories like How the Devil Married Three Sisters and Fitch's Bird, which is a Grimm Brothers. In these tales, three sisters are in turn kidnapped or forced into marriage, an important distinction from the French versions where the young brides are lured by the widower's wealth or charm. Instead of a golden key, they are given an egg to mind, while they explore the house and the forbidden room. They drop the egg in the blood of the discovered room and cannot get the egg clean or sometimes break the egg. The first two drop their egg and are discovered and killed, but the third sister keeps her egg in her hand and either resurrects her dead sisters or reclaims their bodies before tricking her captor into burning alive in his own castle. Being burnt alive in your own castle has a greater sense of revenge to me, and the egg instead of the key speaks less of a Pandora myth and more of a kind of fertility ritual, this symbol of these girls as young virgins as opposed to corrupt young wives. The third manifestation is that of Mr. Fox, or the robber bridegroom, as they are very similar tales which feature those memorable refrains that I began the show with. In these stories, a young man who appears wealthy comes to the door of a miller or a woodcutter and asks for his beautiful daughter's hand in marriage. The father agrees readily, but the bride is reluctant to marry a man she has never met, and so she sneaks into the forest and sees that he is a thief and a murderer. He dismembers the body of a woman in front of her, and from her hiding place, she snatches a finger with a ring on it from the corpse. Later, when she meets her suitor again, she tells him of a strange dream she had, and then tells the story of her venture into his lands, revealing the ring and the finger at the last moment. He is then arrested or killed, as his deception and murderous ways are revealed. Sometimes this reveal occurs at the wedding feast, and so the girl, already married to him, inherits all his ill-gotten riches and lives happily ever after, wealthy and a little bit conniving. All of these stories are grouped together because they tell of what we would call today a serial killer. Indeed, before there was such a term, 
Bluebeard was the term used to describe serial killers. The Brothers Grimm point out that the name Bluebeard was a name given to anyone whose beard grew wild and thick, and that the Norse people would refer to people's facial deformities as blackbeards. So there is a tie between the wild and unkempt facial hair of these villains and the preconceived notions of sanity that we hold. We like to think that evil and madness is visible in such ways. But the real bluebeards of medieval Europe had no such telltale signs on their faces. Along with Henry VIII, there are two other historical figures that are often described as being inspirations to the tale. Gilles de Ray, born 1405 and died 1440, was a knight in the French army during the Hundred Year War. He was a companion of Joan of Arc. He fought along her side at the Siege of Orléans and was famous for his bravery in battle, which some described as recklessness. He was also reckless with his money and his political position. And after Joan was captured and taken to trial by the English, he returned to his home barony, where he set all of his inheritance into building an opulent chapel called the Chapel of Holy Innocence, where he officiated in robes of his own design. He put on a play of his own devising called Le Mystère du Siege de Orléans, the mystery of the Siege of Orléans. The play consisted of more than 20,000 lines of verse and required 140 speaking parts and 500 non-speaking parts. During this time, he also began sexually assaulting and murdering children. In his confession taken in 1438, he cannot recall the exact number of children he violated and murdered, but the court at the time exhumed 40 bodies on his property of children aged between 8 and 18 years old. He killed them in torturous and horrific ways with little dignity and took great delight in dressing them up in finery first, feeding them nice food and wine and enjoying the look of surprise and fear in their eyes when his attention turned murderous. There are many disturbing aspects of this history, but one of the most unnerving for me is the fact that everyone knew what he was doing. The people of his castle and town knew. They saw their children disappear and were powerless to stop their lord. His servants and his cousin helped in the kidnapping and killing of children and testified at his trial. But they had felt unable to stop him, unable to refuse him. For he was their lord and master in a feudal age, and a mad and violent one at that. De Ray believed he practiced black magic and was in communication with several alchemists and dark wizards of the time one of which aided him in his attempts to summon a demon. It speaks to his state of sanity that DeRay never believed he had successfully summoned a demon. Despite several attempts to lure a demon called Baron using gold, and eventually on advice from his alchemist correspondent, dismembered children were offered to lure the demon 
to sell his soul. So it is perhaps DeRay's ties to the dark arts that interwove the devil into the many versions of Bluebeard, especially the French versions. Sometimes Bluebeard is a man who has sold his soul to the devil for his wealth, and the murders of his wives are sacrifices to his dark lord. In others, the Bluebeard figure is a demon, or the devil himself. In several versions, such as The Robber and the Miller's Twelve Daughters, the Bluebeard needs the blood of a certain number of virgins to do a dark spell or to conjure the devil. The other historical figure tied to the Bluebeard myth is much older. Connemore the Cursed lived around 540 AD. And you know you've done bad when you're remembered in history as the Cursed. Connemore, or Connomerus, as he was known in Latin, which was the style of the time, was a ruler through Brittany, although he may have originally been from Wales or has spent his youth there. Historical records of him are not as detailed as the gruesome court reports of DeRay. What we know of his personal life is mostly a legend itself, yet it seems closer to the story of Bluebeard than the terror of DeRay. The story is that Connemore killed three of his wives and desired another, a woman called Trophine. Trophine at first refused to marry him, but when he threatened her land and her people, she agrees. Trophine soon sees Connemore's eyes wandering to a new woman and a new wife, and so pregnant and unwilling to die for her husband's roving eye, she runs into the forest and escapes. Some myths have her being aided by the ghosts of Connemore's past wives. She gives birth in the forest and hides her son. However, Connemore still finds her and kills her. The story of St. Gildas had the saint returning Trophane's head to her body and restoring her to life. And Trophane and her son Tremur are both saints in Brittany, with a village named St. Trophane. While we know Connemore existed, everything about Trophane and his private life is myth. But I think here is the germ that started Bluebeard. For Bluebeard is not the oldest tale in the book, nor the most universal. Although there are versions in India with the Brahmin girl who married a tiger and the tiger's bride, and in Tanzania, such as the spirit who is cheated by the Sultan's son, the further you get away from France, the less familiar the tale looks, and the more it resembles other tales such as Little Red Riding Hood, that teach us to beware of strangers and wolves in sheep's clothing, or of some hero tales like Puss in Boots or Jack the Beanstalk where it's about people defeating ogres and giants. These days, Bluebeard is less in fashion. It has been reclaimed by feminists such as Angela Carter and the French filmmaker Catherine Brelé whose 2009 film adaptation, the most recent and arguably the most interesting adaptation of the story 
to a dramatic form. There are many operas and ballets and such inspired by the gothic tones of this tale, the blood, the many-roomed castle, the hanging corpses of dead brides. It appeals to a certain kind of imagination. And it certainly won't be getting a Disney spin any time soon. Instead, Bluebeard turns up in heavy metal lyrics and graphic novels, places where darkness dwells more easily. The allure of the tale is its salacious nature, after all. It's forbidden nature. I don't think the Blue Devil could stand the full glare of mainstream culture the same way Cinderella does. Bluebeard remains a tale for the curious and the brave. Lots of exciting things are happening here at Singing Bones. We're now a part of the Dark Myth Podcast Collective, which if you like Singing Bones, I'm sure you will like some of the other podcasts on Dark Myths. One I particularly recommend is the Mythology Podcast. It's great if you're into this kind of thing. We're also about to get a facelift with a new logo and some new images, although the website and formats will stay the same. And we've got some exciting episodes coming this season. The next will be Little Red Riding Hood, which was a listener's request, as was Bluebeard today. So if you have a request for a tale you'd like to hear the history of, please get in touch with us at singingbonespodcast.com or on Twitter at singingbonespc. We're also on Facebook, Singing Bones Podcast, or you can drop me an email at singingbonespodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear what stories you want to hear the history of. Till next time, wishing you a happily ever after. I'm Claire Testoni.